Imagine That Studios and Karu Studios in association with Harper Voyager Books presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 1 The Official Anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences So, where do we start? Well, that is always the challenge of the archives, Miss Braun. Where to start? I find the beginning is a good place. <laughs> Very clever, Welly. Let me see. Top folder and... Oh, my. Oh, my. What? What is it, this case, Welly? An ancient relic of a lost civilization? Or perhaps a mysterious string of murders that are linked by the diabolical plot of a mad scientist? No. It is, as I said... The beginning. Your beginning. I beg your pardon? Miss Braun, this case is the story of junior field agent Eliza D. Braun and how she came to be reassigned at the London office. Handed over books. Oh, come along. I think this will be a wonderful story to share. Welly, hand over that file or I will shoot you. Oh, please, Eliza, go on. After all we have been through, you wouldn't dare, would you? Would you? Eliza? The Evil That Befell Samson by Philippa Ballantyne We all know you are the best person to deal with peculiar things, Mrs Kate Shepherd smiled at the younger woman standing before her. And quite frankly, what has been going on is most peculiar indeed. Though she was asking for help from Eliza D. Braun, field agent in the South Pacific branch of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, her tone was warm and friendly. However, even though they had known each other for a long time, more than a quarter of Eliza's life, she still did not feel entirely comfortable about the older woman. Hero worship would do that to pretty much everyone who entertained it. Even more so when that very same heroine is the one that Eliza hoped would be her mother-in-law in time. The younger woman had tried to shake it off many times before, but it stubbornly clung to her psyche. Mrs Shepherd was everything the agent strove to be. Brave, kind and genteel. The first, Eliza had easily mastered. The second, she managed on occasion. But the third often eluded her. Kate sat on a walnut parlour chair upholstered in emerald green in the sunshine, her fine white blonde hair fairly gleaming and her hands folded on her lap. At her side, a small doily-covered table held a steaming teapot, two cups and a selection of little biscuits. Mrs Shepherd's posture was erect and firm. She could have taught it in finishing school. A more genteel example of Victorian womanhood could not be found, and yet Eliza was aware that many in New Zealand thought of her as the most dangerous person in the country. She peddled radical ideas, would not be silenced, and encouraged others to rally around her. In other words, she was the preeminent suffragist in the nation. Eliza was both fascinated and terrified of her. 
Though she worked for the ministry, she was still a suffragist and proud to wear the white camellia. She cleared her throat. Uh, I'm glad to be of assistance, Mrs Shepherd. However, I hope Douglas told you. I am the most junior field agent in the ministry in New Zealand at the moment. I should caution that I might find nothing at all. The suffragist's remarkable blue eyes fixed on the young woman, examining her with the intensity of a hawk. You have shown a lot of promise, Eliza, and my son has nothing but good things to say about you. Not to mention, you are one of the few female agents in the ministry, and that makes you rather special. I try, Mrs Shepherd, Eliza murmured, not quite sure what to do with this unexpected compliment. Since we are to be working together, you need to stop calling me that. I insist you call me Kate. She turned and began to pour the tea from the blue and white pot. Milk? Sugar? Both, please. Eliza was grateful of the moment this little ritual afforded her, since she was not quite sure how to broach the next subject. So she did what she always did, ploughed forward. As she took the cup from Kate, she ventured her real concern. The trouble is that the Ministry has no cases from Dunedin in the last six months, so I couldn't really tell them what I was doing here. I had to make up some excuse about a sick aunt. Kate's lips twitched. I am happy to play that role if it means you can help the movement. Because you see, the reason that it hasn't been passed to the Ministry is because all the men do not find it peculiar at all. The tea was a really excellent Darjeeling. Eliza took another long sip before replying. Then I have an advantage over them. Please tell me, what has been going on? The men call it women coming to their senses. Kate stirred her second cup of tea, concentrating deeply on doing so. The annoyance her voice gave away was consequently slight. I am sure you know we have a tradition of many strong and stalwart supporters in this town. The women of Dunedin have in fact weathered many attacks by that cad, Henry Smith Fish. I had heard he was starting his own petition against the female franchise, Eliza offered. Yes, by herding up drunken men while they are in the public houses. Kate's smile was sharp. Everyone saw right through that tactic, though, and I am afraid the new names people invented for him were rather... cutting. Eliza had heard that, too, and smiled right along with her hero. The talking fish, flapping fish head, and fish out of water... It was really all too easy with his last name. Despite the humour of that, Mr Fish is a dreadful opponent, and we were all keeping an eye on him. What we were not expecting was our own ladies to turn on us. Pardon? Eliza froze in place. She was well acquainted with the ladies of the suffrage movement, and the idea that they would abandon that cause was unbelievable. I am afraid so, Kate stared down into her cup. Our strongest supporters, those with the most influence and money, have begun wearing the red camellia. She picked her own white flower from her buttonhole and glanced at it. Even Miss Burgess, who is nearly 70 and has been committed to the cause her whole life, even she has changed coat and will no longer receive my calls. It was impossible to know what to say. So instead Eliza got to her feet. She will not, however, refuse a visit from a government official. I shall see to this at once. The older woman rose too. Thank you, Eliza. I am so busy with getting the petition to Parliament that this has been worrying me and I haven't been able to deal with it. I really can't understand it. The agent dipped her eyes away, her heart swelling with the opportunity to shine before Douglas and his mother. Leave it with me, she paused. Kate. 
The suffragists saw her to the front door. Mabel is an old lady, Eliza. If you can find out why she has changed her tune so drastically without using any more of your more extreme methods, that would be best. Eliza gave her a crooked smile. I promise not to blow anything up, just to prove a point. The suffragist laughed as she held the door open. I know you will do your best, but I shan't expect miracles. The house of Miss Mabel Burgess was far more impressive than that of Mrs. Shepherd. It towered on top of the hill, looking down the valley at less fortunate and deserving houses. Miss Burgess had apparently been born to money as well as to the suffrage movement. It was quite the potent combination. Eliza rang the doorbell, was admitted, and dropped her calling card onto the tray offered to her by a rather elderly maidservant. She was shown into the library while the card was delivered, and only had to wait a few moments before the maid returned at quite a lively pace. She was then ushered into the receiving parlour of Miss Burgess. Eliza had never had the honour of meeting such a prominent and wealthy member of the movement. For some reason it was thought she wasn't quite fit to behave around such ladies. It probably involved an incident with the mayoress of Palmerston North last year, but that woman was certainly no lady. However, today was different. Today, Eliza was on her best behaviour. Miss Burgess sat in a sea of blue lace and faded beauty on a rose-coloured chaise lounge. Her smile was so soft and kindly that it was hard to imagine she had any bitterness towards her lot in life. Money would do that, make up for a lot of difficulties. Yet Eliza had heard the stories. She knew that in her time, Miss Burgess had been a powerful and committed suffragist. She'd broken windows and even flown an ornithopter to the top of the House of Parliament in Westminster to hang a gaily coloured pennant from the rooftops. It had proudly proclaimed, same life, same rights. Now that she was supposedly in her dotage, she had been no less ardent in New Zealand, doing her bit and flummoxing men. Yet three weeks ago, she had withdrawn her considerable personal and financial support from the movement, stopped replying to missives from the council and shut herself away. She rose to greet Eliza and smiled endearingly. Miss Braun, is it? I hear you are working for the Ministry of Public Health. My goodness, what a job for a lady. Eliza could not have been more surprised if Miss Burgess had jumped up and done the cane on her sideboard. Kate was right. There was something seriously wrong here. Still, she managed not to let any of her shock show on her face. Instead, she took the offered seat and tried to imagine herself in a role in which the prime danger was from paper cuts. Flicking open her leather case, Eliza rummaged through it and pulled out a piece of paper that she'd only typed up this morning. Miss Burgess, she put on her most stern voice, borrowed from her mother. I have come to inquire as to your contact with Mr Henry Smith Fish. Pardon? The old lady looked positively white at questioning before even one cup of tea had been drunk. How did you... Find out that you had entertained him? Eliza smiled, glad that her hunch had paid off. In Dunedin, if there was anything anti-suffragist going on, Mr Fish was at the bottom of it. She fixed the lady of the house with a steely gaze and quite wished she'd found a pair of spectacles to peer over. This is a small town, you know, and people do talk. But why would the Ministry of Public Health be interested in... 
Miss Burgess paused, and then clenched her fingers around the arm of the chaise lounge. Oh, my, she breathed and then shook her head. No, I, I can't possibly think that of Mr. Fish. The elderly lady was being far too kind. Fish was known throughout the town as quite the reprobate. Eliza was smiling on the inside. She didn't care a jot if Henry Smith Fish's reputation was sullied. Besides, in its current state, it was rather unlikely. Well, I can't really say, Miss Burgess, but I need to know the details of his visit. It puzzles me, you see, since you used to be such an ardent suffragist that you would let him cross your threshold. Her host folded her hands on her lap. Yes, I used to be. I recall not being entirely happy when he turned up on my doorstep, she frowned. But I eventually called for tea and listened to him. He was quite pleasant, talking about a purchase he had made for his wife. That was all you talked about? Eliza frowned, her hands tightening on the fake piece of paper. Miss Burgess's head jerked upright. Why on earth would we talk about that? Her lip actually curled. No, he had a tinker make this very strange but rather beautiful bracelet for Edna. That Henry Smith Fish, renowned cad and dilettante, should have done any such thing, let alone made a point of showing it to Miss Burgess of all people, set Eliza's instincts buzzing. If you don't mind me asking, what did this bracelet look like? The old lady's eyes seemed to cloud over. It was quite lovely. All brass surrounding these stunning cobalt blue pieces of glass. It was very strange, but Mr. Fish put it on his own wrist to show me how much better it glowed when worn. There was even this very strange noise. Eliza swallowed hard. The Ministry had been wondering what happened to the circlet of Delilah. The pieces of the shattered enamelled diadem had been on loan to the British Museum from the Ministry archives simply because the circlet had been so broken that its manipulative powers had been ended. It seemed Mr Fish had found a way to use a bit of modern technology to get them back. Looking into the clouded eyes of Miss Burgess, Eliza knew what she had to do, and it involved slugging Mr Henry Smith Fish in the jaw before he could turn it on her. It was now of the utmost importance. He wasn't home. Douglas, Kate's son and the love of Eliza's life, stood by the chugging locomotor and stared down at her in bemusement. Are you telling me that my little pepper pot can't find her man? He grinned at her, and Eliza felt her ire rising. As much as she loved Douglas, sometimes he could be a little condescending, especially when it came to her work. I didn't just go to his house, Douglas. I scoured all of bloody Dunedin. For such a blowhard, he's lying very low. Well, we can't be concerned about that little weasel now, Kate Shepherd appeared on the doorstep, pulling on her driving gloves and with a pair of goggles hanging from around her neck. She was dressed warmly because in spring, in an open-topped vehicle, there could be quite a chill. We have to get the petition to Wellington by Monday, before Parliament is dismissed for the season. Mr John Hall has to present it before they close the doors. If he does not, then the next Parliament is guaranteed to be only more toxic to our cause. The chugging of the locomotor hardly seemed reassuring. Then why are you not taking an airship? You could be there tomorrow morning instead of with all this fuss and bother. Kate slipped her goggles over her eyes and adjusted them. Because, my dear girl, both commercial fleets are owned by men unhappy with what we are trying to do. 
Simply put, they have informed all of their officers not to sell tickets to us. We may even have a kind of wanted poster out. Very American. So it is this or Shanks's pony. The agent did some quick calculations. With two nights in hand, they should be able to reach Picton and the ferry on Saturday night and the capital by Sunday. And it's just the two of you? Eliza didn't mean to sound dismissive, but Kate and Douglas Shepherd did not seem like a lot to protect the petition, which had taken nearly a year to assemble and would be impossible to replace in time, should anything befall it. Douglas flicked open the lid of the trunk already strapped to the back of the loco. Don't worry, she's in good hands. Eliza peered in and got a thrill to see the huge roll of paper tucked in the case. Thousands upon thousands of women's signatures were all in there, demanding the same rights as the men of the country. It was more than a year's work, the voice of an unheard majority. I was up rather late last night, pasting the final pages together, Kate whispered over her shoulder, before stepping up into the driving seat of the locomotor. I think it would be far more impressive to have John unfurl it across the floor of the debating chamber. Legions of women in all their different districts had worked long and hard to get these signatures and then sent all the pages to Kate. Monday would see the culmination of their bravery and determination. The idea of unrolling it before all those flabbergasted men was quite monumental, yet Eliza knew in the pit of her stomach that Henry Smith Fish had not suddenly disappeared by coincidence. If this petition reached Wellington, then he would have failed. Her mind was thus made up. She spun about. I want to be there to see that, and I want to make sure it gets there, too. The weight of her panamu-handled pistols in the small of her back, under her jacket, made her feel a little more comfortable. Douglas took her hands in his. I'm not sure this is appropriate, Eliza, since we're not yet married. Stuff and nonsense, Kate interrupted. I can think of no better guardian of the petition than Miss Eliza D. Braun, and I shall do my best to protect her innocence from you, Douglas. She wagged her finger at him with a grin, before holding out her hand to Eliza. Climb up, my dear. The agent smiled right back at her, before taking her place behind the shepherds. Kate took a deep breath, as though just about to fling herself off a cliff, then shoved the levers forward, and they were off. Eliza could only hope that they were leaving Mr. Henry Smith Fish behind them in a cloud of steam and regret. They reached Omaru late on the first day, having thankfully seen very little traffic on the road. Mind you, with the state of it, Eliza was not surprised. Most sensible people took airships these days, and for good reason. She felt as though all her teeth had been in danger of being shaken loose the whole way. At about ten o'clock in the evening, they all climbed down with sore muscles and aching ears and entered the valiant hotel, with light beaming from every window and a kindly landlady who had kept some bread and cheese for their supper. First, though, Douglas took charge of dragging the trunk upstairs to his mother's room. Eliza had to order a room of her own, since she didn't dare share one with Douglas in front of Kate. She was brave, but she wasn't quite that brave. The journey had exhausted all of them, and with promises of an early start, they headed to their separate accommodations to rest as best they could. Eliza took a bath in her room, soaking out the aches with a healthy dosing of Epsom salts in the water, but with her pistols nonetheless in close proximity. Locomotors might be new, exciting and speedy, but one thing they were not was comfortable. Damn those rich bastards preventing them taking an airship north. She dared not soak too long, however, and far too quickly she got out, dried herself off and slipped into some clothes Kate had loaned her for the trip. They were of a similar size and height, so it wasn't as inconvenient as it could have been. 
However, getting dressed seemed to take the last of her energy, and as she sat on her bed, and despite her best efforts, the warmth of the bath and the exhaustion of travel caught up with her. Eliza's eyes drooped, and for a brief moment she dreamed of dairy doings, fire, and a man with hazel eyes. Luckily, however, she was a very light sleeper. One little bang on her door, more of a scrape than a knock, and Eliza was bolt upright in bed, her pistols in her hands. Carefully she padded to the door and listened. Someone was moving outside, footsteps going away from her door and towards Kate's. The agent's hand slipped into her pocket. There she found the oral defenders. Something that the delightful Miss Burgess mentioned had stirred Eliza to caution, and she'd been careful to take one item in particular from the Ministry's agent-issued devices. It was not the first time she or her counterparts had been forced to face mind manipulation devices in their line of work, so the Clankertons had come up with some damn fine countermeasures. Unfortunately, there was only one kind that were anywhere near portable enough to stick in your pocket. She slipped them over the top of her ear and tightened the clamp to hold them in place. They mimicked the shape of the human ear, but covered over the passageway, were heavy and dampened her own natural hearing. However, they were also the only defence against mind control, which she suspected Fish had. After flicking the tiny lever behind her ear, she could immediately hear the whirring of the clockwork and a faint grinding sound like a music box run amuck. It was distracting, but then it was meant to be. Cocking her gun, she levered open her door and immediately had to step over Douglas. Her training held so that she didn't panic. He was crumpled on the floor, his face pressed to the worn carpet, his eyes closed. Eliza felt for a pulse and was damned relieved to find one. He was down, but not dead. Unfortunately, she had no time to stop and revive him. Kate and the petition were in peril, so it was up to the junior agent to help them. Abandoning stealth, she ran towards the suffragist's room. The door was swinging slightly, and the lock had obviously been kicked because it was broken in the frame. Eliza darted a look around the jam. "'You can come in, Miss Braun,' Henry Smith Fish shouted. "'Come in and let's talk!' Her glance had told her one thing. Kate was being held in a chokehold and very close to the cad. Any kind of subtlety was done with. Smith was behind Kate, one arm around her throat as they stood backed against the window. Easily apparent on his arm was the gleaming bracelet." Eliza's eyes darted to the trunk which was pulled out from under the bed and only feet away from the man who hated it so. Eliza kept her pistols down, yet did not give them up entirely and stepped into the room. So let's make a deal. You let go of Mrs Shepherd, and I don't shoot you in the head. She said it in a kindly tone, but meant every word of it. Smith adjusted the still struggling Kate. Mrs Shepherd was a martial artist of no little metal herself, so Smith must have caught her while she slept. So he was living up to his reputation as being a right bastard. Eliza considered. The shot was a hard one, especially if he moved. How about instead, he purred, you put the gun down and then run out into the street to wait for a carriage to run you over. The buzz in the air fairly pulsed against her skin. The oral defenders rattled and chattered in her ear, and thankfully she did not feel the urge to obey him. I don't think so, she hissed back. His hateful face twisted, horrified that she was not obeying, and mystified as to why not. After all, her hair was loose, and he couldn't really see her earlobes properly. Fisher's hands clenched around Kate's throat, and the bracelet flared bright blue. Or I could tell the delightful Mrs Shepherd here to stand up in Parliament on Monday and convince everyone this petition is forged. 
the two women shared a look. Kate was wide-eyed, horrified and frightened, no doubt seeing all she had worked for in deadly peril. Her jaw tightened, and then she mouthed, Shoot it. It was not an easy shot, but the pistols were as accurate as the agent's aim. Eliza nodded, raised her weapons and obeyed. It was the only thing to do. Her weapons roared in the tiny room and both of her shots hit home. The brass wiring that held the bracelet together hummed while the second round shattered some of the glass. Now the sound was pressing down on them all like the rumble before lightning crashed. It seemed to have an actual physical presence. The petition! Kate screamed, twisting away even as the light grew to blinding strength, destroying all shape and form and confusing the eye. Eliza had only a moment to make her decision and she chose to do as asked. She could not let all those women's efforts come to naught. Throwing herself forward and down, she dove across the floor, smacking into the trunk and sliding with it through the wardrobe door. Behind was a sound that resembled what she imagined a dragon's roar might have been like. Eliza felt the air get sucked out of her lungs and everything rang as if they were inside a great bell. Behind her in the bedroom proper, she heard Fish and Kate howl together. Twisting around, Eliza staggered upright back the way she had come, yelling Kate's name. The carnage she saw there said immediately that both the bracelet and Mr. Henry Fish Smith would not be bothering them again. Both were in pieces. Kate lay a short distance off. It looked like at the last moment she'd been able to jerk at least partly free of her attacker, but not quite far enough. Fitful flames were already engulfing the bed and curtains and smoke beginning to fill the room. Kate's clothing was torn and there was blood everywhere coming from a devastating head injury. The suffragist's eye was gone in a bloody mess. Eliza's hands fluttered around the wound, not knowing what to do. This couldn't be happening. Only hours before they'd been joking in the locomotor and now she was kneeling in the blood of her heroine, screaming for Douglas. He came and gathered up his mother and then everyone was evacuating the hotel. Eliza only had enough sense in her to take the travelling case containing the petition with her. Nothing else seemed to matter. You'll be glad to know Mrs Shepherd made it through the night. The Goliath of a man standing on the other side of the oak desk did not sound like he was very pleased. His name was King Dick, and never had a man been better named. He looked powerful, he sounded powerful, and as Prime Minister of New Zealand, Richard Seddon was powerful. Luckily for Miss Braun, he was not the minister in charge of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Eliza found she didn't have the energy to respond as she should have. She had changed her clothes but hadn't had a chance to have a bath since Omaru. Her hair still smelt of smoke and blood. A government airship had been sent to evacuate Kate to Wellington and after that it had been a bit of a blur. Luckily for the suffragist, it would have reflected badly to have the government leave a prominent lady such as herself to die in a tiny town after such a horrible event. Douglas had accompanied his mother to hospital while Eliza numbly went to John Hall with a petition in the trunk. She'd barely said two sentences to him, and though he'd called after her, she had given no reply to him. The summons by the Prime Minister would have usually engendered at least some nervousness in her, but all she could think of was Kate's ruined face. Richard said, and not used to being so ignored, cleared his throat again, leaning over the desk. <clears throat> I don't think, Agent Braun, you realise how much trouble you are in. 
Not only did you pursue a case without permission from your superior at the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, but you also killed a member of Parliament and caused a fire in a boarding establishment. She knew what he wasn't going to say. The real reason he was so angry with her was that she had succeeded in getting the petition to Wellington, and that come Monday morning he would have to deal with that in Parliament. King Dick was not known for his appreciation of Kate Shepherd's efforts. Even more, unfortunately, said and eased himself into his chair while Eliza remained standing. I can do nothing about it, since the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences is operated from London and not from New Zealand. He grunted at that, again making his opinion known without a word. At that moment, Eliza didn't care. She loved what she did, but she could not shake the recollection of Douglas's face as he followed the stretcher into the hospital. She knew what he had to be thinking. Eliza had said she would protect them, and now his mother hovered on the brink of death. Her job, which he had always seen as a silly fancy, had suddenly become much more serious. The Prime Minister waited for a moment for some reaction. When there was none, he slammed his fist on the desk. <laughs> Eliza did jump at that. Damn it, woman, I can't get you demoted, but there is one thing I can do. You have to leave immediately. Pardon? She shook her head, as if emerging from a London fog. King Dick smiled, with a grin that would have looked better on a crocodile. You have to leave, and by Jove, I'll do everything to make sure you never set foot in this country again. We don't need your sort of feminine dairy-doing here. But, Eliza was wondering, if this nightmare was never going to end. This is my home! Not any more. He pulled a sheaf of papers in front of him. You're being reassigned to the London office of the Ministry, and if you ever come back to our fair shores, Miss Eliza D. Braun, you will be arrested as a public menace, the murderer of Mr. Henry Smith Fish, and arsonist of the Valiant Hotel. She had never pleaded for anything in her life, but suddenly she understood how much she loved New Zealand, just as it was about to be snatched away. Please, sir, she swallowed hard. My family are here. The man I love. I, I can't leave forever. I, I just can't. His look was as cold as an Antarctic winter. Then don't. Spend your time in prison here for the rest of your life. The grim reality began to settle over her. She had won, but she had lost. She could not disgrace her family, Douglas, or the Ministry. It had to be London then. However, she was not going to leave without getting a last word in. Now it was her turn to lean over the desk. I'll go then. But I hope one day, Richard Seddon, you learn how painful it is to lose all you love, including your country. Think of me when that day comes. With that, she turned on her heel and marched out of the Prime Minister's office. She would go and find Douglas and send word to her family what had happened. It was going to be hard indeed to be parted from them and him. But what other choice did she have? None. None but to be the scapegoat for others' rage. She comforted herself that maybe things would alter, maybe the suffragists would change things, and it would not be men in charge forever. Maybe one day there would be a woman in King Dick's place. That thought and one other warmed her as she strode out of Parliament buildings. Monday was not yet here, and the petition would be presented. She would stay that long at least, book passage north once it was over. She wanted to see the faces of all those menfolk when Kate and the suffragists' success was revealed. It would make the leaving easier, if not at least worthwhile.
For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, pre-order your copy of Phoenix Rising, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel from your favourite bookstore or online from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com or the iBookstore. Original music composed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru Studios, Harper Voyager Production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.